Welcome to Everyday Sublime. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm really glad you're here. In today's episode, I'll be sharing the final installment of my conversation with the yin yoga teacher, Stephanie Arend. Stephanie's an old yin yoga friend of mine, not old in age, just old in, in experience, and I'm delighted to have her on the podcast to discuss her new book, Be Healthy with Yin Yoga. And just as a quick note before we start the episode, Um, As you may have heard, I've put together a series of reflections that serve as an overview to the essential themes of yin yoga. This is a series based on many of the most common questions and topics that come up in uh, the yin yoga teacher trainings that Terry and I teach. Now, this series is free to all new subscribers to the newsletter. So just head over to joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe. If you register for the newsletter, um, you'll receive a bonus access to two full practice videos that I did, one for the spine and one for the hips. The feedback on this series has been great, and my aim in 2020 is to create more of this kind of product, these kinds of series that will continue to support and nurture your own practice. Now, in today's episode, Stephanie Arend and I focus on how she and I think about applying the principles of Chinese medicine towards designing sequences in yin yoga with specific energetic themes and intentions. Again, my hope is that this kind of shop talk with experienced teachers like Stephanie will help deepen your own sense of how to practice and teach. And now, once again, I bring you Stephanie Arend. As we prepared for this podcast, one of the things I mentioned I wanted to talk to you about was not so much the way you talk about it, but the way I see many people in the yoga space internalizing what they hear other people saying. And by that I mean, uh, I'm gonna describe the phenomenon with this, this name, it's kind of an alternative reductionism. So you have alternative medicine, which is loosely called Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine or any of those um, alternative systems to conventional Western medicine. And, uh, and then what happens is people who are alternatively interested, they're interested in more holistic forms of medicine, they can unintentionally a- apply a kind of reductionistic thinking to the holistic medical model. So a simple example might be something like in Chinese medicine where someone complains of back pain, like lower back pain, and there is this correlation in Chinese medicine that the kidney organs, the energy of the kidneys govern and rule the lower back, rules the lower back, and if there's a problem in the lower back that tends to suggest a kidney pattern, Um, and I'm going to come back to that word in a second, this issue of pattern, But then people just make this reductive assumption or leap that any kind of back pain is necessarily then kidney thing, something gone wrong with the kidneys. So to rectify it, you have to just do a kidney bladder sequence and then you're good. Uh, It's kind of like this this direct correlation between, uh, you know, one simple thing causing this this particular symptom. Um, And in Chinese medicine, along with other forms of holistic medicine, um, that's not really the case, that each symptom 
as I know, I know you know this, but most people don't realize this, but one symptom on its own doesn't tell an acupuncturist very much of anything. It's only when that one particular symptom gets contextualized in a broader pattern of other signs and symptoms that what a pattern of disharmony can emerge. And, and it's that pattern of imbalance that the acupuncturist then seeks to balance. Um, but it's not necessarily the specific symptom, and it's not sp necessarily spe specifically just one organ. It's usually involving a couple organ systems and their correlated uh, channels uh, that need to be addressed. So I kind of want to, I say that as an opening to discuss uh, how you would recommend students or people that purchase your book and use your book, how they work with the suggested sequences you have for various conditions. Let's see it as one part of the puzzle. It's not going to be the answer to um, heal all of your ailments, but it can be a great support in your practice. But like we already said, consider nutrition, consider working with a therapist who can um, give you more details, um, consider your uh, lifestyle and um, where do you live in what area. If you, it, it doesn't really help if you do um, have a problem with your kidneys and you do the sequence, but you're poisoning yourself the whole time with um, toxins from the area where you live, for example, um, you have to have a holistic view on the whole thing. It's not just one thing. It's not that you just do a yin yoga sequence and then you uh, will be healed. Right. And then I think that's all very important to have a holistic view, taking as many potential contributing factors or conditions as possible. Um, and then, like, I'm trying to think of an example. Like, think of if you could think of like one condition that you talk about in the book, and then talk about how you how you thought about coming up with a sequence, and then how someone might use that not as a as a rigid rule that this is the only sequence for this particular thing, but how that that can become a I think and you use this word this language in your book you, how that sequence becomes a, a starting point for a process of exploration and trial and error and um, finding out what version of the sequence or what adaptation of the sequence is gonna work best for the individual. Um, so maybe that's a couple questions in that, but how, how did you think about coming up with the sequences in general? And then how, how would you want a practitioner to use your suggestion and then explore from there? I worked together with a doctor for traditional Chinese medicine, and we had lots of discussions about these um, ailments. And then she said it's important. Well, I, I had that background too, but she has way more than I do because she has been doing that for so many years. And then she said, okay, these meridians are very important if you have that ailment. And um, sometimes in the sequences, I also um, have different points like arthrosis, for example, depending on where you have it. Do you have it in the knees? Do you have it in the elbows and the shoulders? It's not the same sequence then anymore. Um, you have to differentiate there. And that's how we came up with the sequences. Um, but of course, there might always be poses which will not work for you. 
And then you can look up um, the other poses, which are in the beginning of the book, and um, just check what meridians are these working on. Like, for example, saddle is not everyone's pose because it can be difficult. But um, cat pulling the tail, for example, can be an alternative, which is pretty much doable for most people. So you could just switch that. Mm-hmm. And... So the, the basic ideas, I think it's sort of implicit in the book, but basically if you have a condition, the condition itself is a symptom that there's a disharmony with one or several of your internal organs, mm-hmm. right? Usually that, I mean, that's a little bit simplistic, but that, that, that's one, a general way of describing it. So the idea is that by coming into poses that influence specific channels the channel when the channels are flowing better the channels have less obstruction greater supply of chi the channels will then nourish the organs that they connect to and allow and the organs themselves will be able to function better to rectify whatever symptomatic imbalance you present the person's presenting with and it sounds like the doctor gave you a sense um, on what organs are most commonly involved with certain Western conditions. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Right. So then from there, like the idea is that you would generally try to do a sequence that would have poses that would influence those channels to help rectify whatever imbalance there was with the organs. Mm-hmm. That's how we put them up. Yeah. Good. No, I, I think that's important here because sometimes people don't, you know, everyone, I, I don't know if you get this, but uh, I often hear that people are always wondering about the channels themselves as though that the channels were like the, the sacred thing. And I, I think they're, they're, they're important and they're, they're an avenue for how we influence our health. But the real, in some ways, the, the most, um, the reason they're so powerful in terms of our health is that because of their connection to the organs. It's the organs that are the seats of our internal health primarily. Um, yeah. And so that's that's what we're really trying to look after. Um, but, and I know you know this, but listeners may not be aware of this, but even with a Western condition, say, you know, and arthrosis is one that, that term doesn't get used that frequently uh, in, I think in Western medicine, it's sort of an, old, an older term, and it kind of refers to kind of joint pathology, mm-hmm. right? Joint, some sort of joint dysfunction. It could include our, like osteoarthritis, as far as I know, and mm-hmm. some other problems. Um, so basically, you're dealing with joint pain, um, and the Chinese system has a, a, a language for that. They call it a, a painful obstruction syndrome. But with joint pain, particular or as an example of a Western condition, there may be, say, five or seven broad patterns of disharmony that lead to that symptom of joint pain. There isn't, in other words, there isn't just one kind of joint pain. There could be, you know, heat obstruction joint pain, cold obstruction joint pain, damp obstruction joint pain, deficiency joint pain, as four. Um, and depending on what those patterns are, the treatment strategy that the acupuncturist herbalist would use, it will look very different. Mm-hmm. So, and this is, and I talked about this with my friend Timothy McCall, 
um, in analyzing studies that are done on Chinese medicine, where oftentimes the studies, they're, t they're testing, say, a, a set sequence of points, a set series of points for headaches, per se, and they compare that against sham points, non-real acupuncture points. But Timothy's point is that the points that are used for the headache are themselves a form of sham acupuncture because no acupuncturist would use the same set of points for every headache, mm. right? It's not a push-button system. It's, it's mm -hmm. like there'd be a, the, the points that we use would be specific to the type of headache that the person was presenting with. And there could be five or seven different types of headaches, um, which a Western system would just classify as the same thing. Mm -hmm. So given that, like the, as I read through your book, what I, what I really appreciated was, A, you give, you give a, a, a sort of a generalized comprehensive sequence for a specific condition based on the general organs and channels that are involved with that condition. But the point that I want to just underline and, and, have, and see how you would recommend someone play with this is it's just a starting point. Mm -hmm. Right, like that sequence is just a, as a as a general like here. Try this, see how it is, and then, and it's the and then part that I'd like you to talk about. Like, say someone does it for say, uh, let's say they have anxiety or they're you know insomnia or whatever it is, and they and they they follow the sequence you have in the book. Um, they do it for a few weeks, and you know, maybe they're getting a little bit of symptomatic relief, but it's still pretty strong. And how would you con like? Coach, coach somebody to to adapt the sequence. What would you recommend? How they, in terms of how they might uh, customize it to their to themselves? Because and this is an easy question, so I, I would have difficulty clearly walking through it. But I, I think it's an important conversation for us to have and and to encourage people to think about too. Yeah, it's it's definitely important to be mindful with your practice and see how do I feel in the poses, what comes up. Uh, on the physical level, what comes up on the emotional level, um, what about your mind, how is your breath, and um, you have to be mindful with all of these components, and then also watch the next day, how do you feel the next day, um, are you very nervous, do you feel calm, and keep on watching that for a longer time, and you have the impression that's not really the best way for me, then please talk to a therapist and um, have that checked again. Where is my imbalance in the body? How can I focus more on this organ, on that organ, or meridian pair, or whatever? And um, you have to really be in touch with yourself to find that out. Mm -hmm. There's, once again, not the general answer yeah. for all people. But you can find that out by yourself by just being very mindful and in touch with yourself. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, I'm glad you're saying that because somewhere on my website or even on the podcast description, I, I kind of make this statement that yin yoga is a refinement of awareness, the practice of a refining awareness, which is a little counterintuitive because everyone thinks of yin yoga as the practice that works the dense connective tissue and has these physiological, physical benefits. But at the end of the day, I feel like the strongest part of the practice is the refined attention that you develop in relationship to your physical experience, your energetic experience, your mental emotional experience. And it's that awareness that then allows you to uh, 
be more sensitive to cause and effect. It allows you to be more sensitive to subtle changes, subtle implementations that you bring, things that you take out to see how things are affecting you. And that, that, that refined awareness really becomes the kind of the, uh, the captain that allows you to, to navigate through your experience better. Um, but something you mentioned that I think, something that I think people could benefit from is, like you said, checking with a therapist. And by therapist, did you mean like going to see an acupuncturist? Mm-hmm. For example, or a doctor for TCM. Yeah. And they can check your pulse, your tongue. They look into your eyes. They have so wonderful, so many wonderful tools to to find out what's going on. Yeah. And so, and I have had students, and I, I'm sure you've had too, who say they took, basically they took a training with me. They learned about the channels, but then they were went to their acupuncturist and said, what is how do you diagnose my basic imbalance? And they might say, oh, you have liver chi stagnation or spleen chi deficiency or whatever. And they take that information, that specific information from their therapist and then creatively design sequences based on the channels to help address those particular organs. Um, and then they've gone back to the acupuncturist and found you know, two months later that the pattern is much better or it's been balanced or it's it's not as uh, extreme any longer. Um, so I think that's actually a very helpful uh, suggestion. Yes. Have you had students that have done some similar things or anything like that? Yes, definitely. I also recommend that to my students because um, I think that can be such a wonderful thing if you do not find any solutions in Western Western medicine and I had that many times and then when I went to um, a doctor for Chinese medicine then they found the imbalances I had and uh, I focused on on these in my practice and Western medicine couldn't give me that that's why I always recommend that to a lot of people if you cannot find any answers here in that field Try something else. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very uh, grateful for the, the breakthroughs of Western medicine, but um, there's a way that with specialization in the, the field of, med- of that medicine where everyone beca- the doctors get very, very specialized and a ton about this very small, discrete section of the body, not necessarily how it plays into the, the larger whole, uh, we do kind of miss the forest for the trees, and that's where a holistic picture can be a vital component in reestablishing health and balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we're sort of getting towards the end of our time here, um, and I want to be respectful of that. But do you do you get like common questions? Like, what are some of the most common questions that you get around this topic yourself as a teacher? Around Yin Yoga. Yin Yoga, and in the, with the network, with, with the connection of like health and um, say how to and the influence of the, on the Chinese medical system or the Chinese meridian system I should say mm, I think a lot of people are really like in a hurry to teach <laughs> because oftentimes people ask me when I do I have a system of different modules um, it's not like a 200 hour teacher training I have different modules and then you can choose what you want to um, do uh, and a lot of people ask me if I do that one training can I teach in yoga then <laughs> and that's that's not enough background and I wish people appreciated that a little bit more that you cannot just do 
all of that in a quick fix. You have to understand not just yin yoga, but yoga in general a whole lot more. It's not like doing some hours in a teacher training and then you think you can heal the world with that. And um, that's one question which comes up a lot. And um, I um, hear that too about the TCM when uh, I teach about meridians. Um, people ask me that too. Can I uh, recommend that to my students? Then can I can I look at the tongue and then I see that and then I can <laughs> tell them what to do? And then I always say, no, that's not what I intend to do. Please always make sure that you um, check back with the therapist and get more and more background on that. You really have to be respectful of the responsibility you have for the people. Yeah. And I wish that people appreciated that more and not just go out and teach it without having enough background. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, it's an interesting point you bring up, like this whole question, like if I do a weekend or a four day or whatever it is with you, will I be like, will I be good to go? Am I, am I ready to go teach? Um, I, I mean, it, it's like the answer depends depending on the, the, the student, you're, the, the, the trainer that, that you're dealing with. But um, I can imagine some people who have, say, like a lot of background already, they've got a lot of yoga background already, they come and they can, they're kind of, they're like fertile, ter they're fertile ground for the material and they just soak it up and they absorb it and they, 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 it sits with them and it, ha it hangs in reference to everything else they already know. And they're just, they're very, they're, they're ready to go out and deliver it right away. But most people, I think, and, and this is the way I try to speak about it in my own trainings, is I say, you know, you're going to come to this training and I'm going to basically try to get you in shape to th how to think about this material. Mm -hmm. We'll cover many details and I get into details, but the details won't stick. It's just too much. Like, you know, it, like Chinese medicine, I, I went to school for four years for that. And in a four-day training, I'm just scratching the surface of the most essential stuff, I think, that's relevant to the practice of yin yoga. But it takes, after the training, it's, I imagine it takes anywhere between two months to a year to actually metabolize the material, mm -hmm. to, to literally digest it and be then ready to then begin to start to share with it. So it's not like this instantaneous turnaround that, oh, you come to training, I'm, by Monday you'll, you'll, you'll be able to expound uh, with great depth about the, the physiology of the Chinese kidneys. That's not so likely. <laughs> yes, and I remember when I did my first training with Paul, people asked him that too. And he said, I am not putting a copyright on this practice or on these trainings. If you feel ready to teach it, then go. But I trust that you have the background to know how to help the people. If they have an anatomic problem, that you know how to deal with that. And if you feel not ready for that, then don't, then wait, then do more trainings. And I think that's a wonderful um, point of view. Yeah, it does place, I mean, in both of these responses to that question, it does place a fair amount of responsibility on the individual to, to really be discerning about what they know and what they don't know mm -hmm. right and that yeah. sometimes works out and sometimes might not work out <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but you have to, um, you need to have an understanding. You cannot say, for example, okay, we all come into saddle pose and there will be people who cannot do it. And then understand why can you not do that? Why is, what's the problem here for you? What can we do to make it easier for you? How can we use the props or what alternatives do we have? And one should really know that, I think, before going off to teach. Yeah. Not and, just for saddle, of course, but for, for the whole practice. Right. And that comes back to, I think, what I was trying to mention earlier is just that the, in some ways the most important thing is how do you think about the practice? How do you analyze what you're trying to do? And if you can think about it clearly enough, you'll be able to creatively come up with solutions for a majority of things. But it's not so much like saddle looks like this or when in saddle you do it this way. It's more like, okay, understanding the, the point of saddle and then if you understand the point, you can think about how do you adapt and modify and come up with or use a different pose to serve the same function. But you have to be able to think through that. And if you don't have that thinking capacity, then you kind of are at a loss, I think, or people are at a loss. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Well, look, your book now is it's been it's available now, right? Is it on Amazon? Yes. It came out in August of 2019, and yes, it is on Amazon and um, I think in other places in the U.S. as well, in all the English-speaking countries, should yeah. be available. Mm -hmm. So listen up, English-speaking countries. New book for Yin Yoga. It's called Be Healthy with Yin Yoga. I'll be linking to that in, in the show notes. Um, and uh, highly recommend it and wish you all the success with that, Stephanie. Thank you so much, Josh. And I want to thank you for your time and, and uh, conversation on coming on the podcast today. Thank you so very much. It was a pleasure. It was so much fun to talk to you. Yeah, it's great catching up. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, that concludes my conversation with Stephanie Arend. I hope you enjoyed our shop talk, and I hope that gives you new ideas and ways of thinking through similar dynamics in your own teaching and practice. And for further exploration, please, please grab yourself a copy of Stephanie's wonderful book, Be Healthy with Yin Yoga. There's a link for that in the show notes. And if you'd like to study or train in Yin Yoga with me and Terry this year, please check out our calendar of offerings for 2020, and that can be found at www.joshsummers.net forward slash events. That's www.joshsummers.net forward slash events. And finally, as a parting reminder, if you'd like to receive your free access to my Essentials of Yin Yoga program, just head over to my website, again, joshsummers.net forward slash, this time subscribe, sign up for my newsletter, and good things will start to flow your way. Thanks so much for listening today, and I'll see you in the next episode.